The following podcast is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and frank sexual content. This is the Heart of Jack's podcast. Back in the saddle again. Secure your own oxygen mask first. And Hezekiah goes to the Jacks. I'm Paul Rosenberg, and this is episode number seven of the Heart of Jack's podcast. Brought to you by me and sponsored by the Seattle Erotic Art Festival, presenting SEAF 2020, the pandemic edition. Tickets to the festival's final virtual performance on December 12 are available at seattleerotic.org. This show is also made possible by people like you, patrons through Patreon. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com slash theheartofjacks. Hey, it's Paul. It is so good to be back in the podcasting saddle. Thank you so much for your good wishes while I did the healing thing. While I do the healing thing. Yeah, it's still going on. It's a long recovery process, but it's really all good. The prognosis is for full recovery at some point. Now that's all I'm going to say about that. So, Shakespeare quotes are the epitome of the term hackneyed. Specifically, I think, because they're just so good, so memorable, They naturally get overused, and we in the West have heard these quotes all of our lives, and the many generations who heard them all of their lives, hackneyed, tired, and still just so good. In Hamlet, Polonius offers these words as a token of advice to his son, Laertes, at the time of his departure to Paris. He says, This above all, to thine own self be true. And it must follow, as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Regardless of how you interpret that today, here's what was going on in Shakespeare's time. Polonius believes that a person can be good to others and do the least harm when he is financially sound. Therefore, he must be loyal to his own best interests first, and then take care of others. Yeah, a little different from the way you may have thought. It's the equivalent of securing your own oxygen mask before helping anyone else. Only in this case, the oxygen is personal wealth. Huh. (laughs) Today, it has an entirely different meaning, with notions of truth, self-ownership, and individuality. But however you slice it, it's a powerful and important idea that has particular significance to us sexual minorities. Coming out of the closet isn't just about telling others about yourself. It's first and foremost about admitting the truth to yourself. Only then can you move on to sharing that truth with others and just starting down the road to living an authentic life. The way I see it, this is one of the primary gifts that LGBTQ plus people bring to society at large. The understanding that who you really are isn't necessarily who you've been told you are or who you should be and that it's important to be as true as you possibly can be. I like this interpretation of the Shakespeare. To thine own self be true as the prerequisite to being true in the world. As a gay man myself, one who was born into a world where living an authentic life was, for people like me, illegal and considered a mental illness, to be treated brutally with electroshock therapy, institutionalization, drugs, lobotomy, and even murder— That was the reality during my lifetime, and I'm lucky, we're all so freaking lucky to be in a place and time where so much has changed. And that happened because we came out. Again, because we were true to ourselves 
then true to others, and then did the footwork to fight back against the forces that denied our existence, that wanted us to stay hidden. And of course, it's still happening all over the world. It's not over. That fight is far, far from over, but we have come this far through the power of being true. It's not a small thing. My guest today is out about something that is still incredibly stigmatized. He has come to the realization and admitted to himself that he prefers masturbation to sex with others. He also has taken the step of owning it and telling us about it. There's no trace of regret, no apologies, or any sense of missing something. He experiences complete sexual satisfaction through self-pleasure, and he recognizes that for him, it far exceeds the pleasure and satisfaction of partner sex. Now, you might think that that means he prefers being alone, but that turns out not to be the case either. Being completely honest about one's own sexuality just so happens to be the single best way to negotiate good sex with others. This reality of a preference for masturbation is true for a lot of men and women. We just rarely address it, much less admit it. Instead, we try to shoehorn our sex lives into some narrative of what we're supposed to like, what's supposed to give us satisfaction, be it vaginal, anal, oral sex, or our marital disposition, or our intentions to procreate, there are just so many sanctions around sexual behavior that saturate our culture. And not just culture, but our everyday lives, our everyday relationships, in which we are constantly measuring our insides by other people's outsides. If somebody else is having a great time doing something, or says they are, why doesn't that work for us? Untying ourselves from the common narrative and discovering the keys that fit our locks is hard when it goes against the common narrative. It's hard to admit to ourselves. It's hard to admit to others. If there's one thing I take away from today's conversation, it is, to thine own self be true. Next up, Hezekiah goes to the Jacks. This episode of the Heart of Jacks podcast is sponsored by the Seattle Erotic Art Festival, celebrating and cultivating sexuality through the arts. The Seattle Erotic Art Festival, also known as SEIF, supports the creation and purchase of erotic art while providing space for community and conversations around sexuality. This year, they are proud to host SEIF 2020, the pandemic edition, where their large annual festival has been divided into three SEIFsums. Each SEIFsum is different and includes everything you love and expect from SEIF. All the visual art will be shown at Gallery Erato in Seattle's Pioneer Square Arts District. Gallery Erato is following the King County Health Department's COVID-19 guidelines for museums so that you can browse the art and festival stores safely. All of the performances, art tours, talks, and literary readings will be held virtually on the Zoom platform. For tickets and more information about SEIF 2020, the pandemic edition, visit seattleerotic.org. That's seattleerotic.org. My guest today is Hezekiah. Hezekiah has been living in Washington State for 25 years and has been to jack-off clubs around the country and internationally. Hezekiah's doctoral work in healthcare is focused on helping gay men with prostate cancer understand treatment options. He also leads support groups for men and their partners who have sexual problems related to the surgery. He grew up in an abusive home where his sexuality was not accepted and he was abandoned by his parents at age 14. 
Today, Hezekiah is a strong individual who helps others to explore the origins of their sexual identity issues to bring resolution to long-term depression, anger, guilt, and embarrassment. Hezekiah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So you've been to a few jack-off clubs. Do you want to list a couple? Uh, certainly. I've been to, uh, of course, Seattle, uh, previously to RCJs when it was the Seattle Jacks, um, as well as Philadelphia and Boston and uh, Los Angeles as well. Um, and then a few internationally, I've been to a jack-off club in France and also the Melbourne Wankers in Australia. Oh, I'm so jealous. I want to go to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and they have their, um, their uh, Melbourne Wankers meetings are in a bathhouse, but they, uh, they call it a sauna, but they actually um, section off an area sort of that has part of the steam room in the regular room where it's just for the members only. Do, do you remember how you first found out about Rain City Jacks? Uh, Rain City Jacks I found out about when I was still living in Northern California. Uh, should I, I take that back? I'm sorry. I was living in Boise, Idaho. And when I lived in Northern California, I had been to Seattle and it was the original Seattle Jacks, which was um, run out of a back room. I believe it was Club Z, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. Um, this goes back so many years ago. And then um, when I was in Idaho getting ready to come to Seattle for some job interviews, I was looking around in some of the publications because we didn't have online communications very much in those days because this would be back in the early 90s. And so I um, ran across a publication and I want to say it was in The Advocate. And that was how I first found out about RCJs when it was over at the, the little um, artist studio over there. So tell me about what appeals to you about Jackoff Clubs. You know, there's a lot of things that appeal to me about it. Number one, I like the sense of um, masculinity. I like the sense of nakedness. I like the sense of independent and individual expression. I think one of the things that um, masturbation brings that other sexual acts, if you want, will say, um, doesn't bring is the autoerotic opportunity to not only feel but observe a man who understands what his body is feeling like and going through the emotions, the sensations, the physical reactions that only he knows what's going on and can feel them at the time. And there's something very erotic about that, which certainly brings up eroticism in me. But there's also everything from, I think, voyeurism to exhibitionism um, in there. But at the same time, it's a real connection that you have with somebody when you're masturbating yourself that you don't get when either somebody else is doing it for you or you're having a sexual encounter with somebody else. Do you have any idea what that's about, that, that increased sense of eroticism? For you? I, for, for me, I think it's really knowing what it feels like for me and being able to really tantalize my body the way the rhythm is just perfect, the motion, the rate, everything is just perfect. Um, you know, there's, there's times when another man will masturbate me and it won't always be just right or... You know, the, the, the sensation right on my penis at the right points isn't necessarily there. And it's not a full ejaculation with a full orgasm like it is when I do it myself. And I think that's the piece that makes it different. 
So do, do you remember when you first became aware that these clubs existed? Uh, I would say really it was, I, I knew about the um, LA Jacks when I lived in Southern California. So this is going back to the 80s. Um, I knew that they existed because I had seen an ad in Blue Boy magazine. Um, yeah, it goes back quite a bit. And so I, I knew that they existed, but at the time I wasn't able to get to them and I really wasn't of a uh, comfortable age. And so I sort of knew that they existed, but when the first opportunity came along to go to Seattle Jacks, that was the very first time I had ever actually been to a jack-off club. So I'm, I'm interested in about this, uh, you, oh, how did you put it? Um, you weren't of a comfortable age? When you're uh, with a little bit of a history where sex is taboo, um, because part of it is being in a religious household, part of it is where it's not discussed at all, and if it is it's always in a very derogatory or disgusting, sinful way, you sort of have this negative feeling about sex in, in the first place. So just sexually, um, I wasn't um, in a good spot uh, as a young adult, but then you take the art of masturbation and you sort of now you're into your own body, which has other connotations that from what I was raised with are separate from the senses of really feeling good about it, being able to feel positive about yourself. And so my earlier years, um, you know, my teens and my 20s and even probably part of my 30s, I really wasn't of a good sexual age where I could say, this is what I want and be clear about what I wanted and know what I wanted. And even when I started to get to know what I wanted and what really felt good, I couldn't articulate that. And I couldn't share that with other people or sexual partners because when I finally was able to be comfortable with it, it was sort of like, oh, well, you know, masturbation is what you do when you can't have sex with another man, when you can't have, you know, intercourse or you can't have, you know, oral sex or something. That was what you did when you were by yourself or a substitution for sex. And so there was this you know, uh, this sense of uh, argument within my own head of, but this is what I like, this is what I enjoy, but yet others are telling me it's not really sex, but I felt like it was because I was feeling more complete after an orgasm that I had created myself than someone else had created for me. So it sounds like masturbation is your preferred form of sexual expression. I, yes, I would say that. I would definitely say that. Um, and even now it feels kind of funny. Uh, as, as, a, as a mature adult, it still seems funny to actually say that like somehow that's not supposed to be the right answer because um being a very happily married man in a wonderful relationship um i don't would i, I would never want to discredit my husband or the sex that we have as being wonderful and incredible but yeah that really would be the truth it would be my preferred um sexual activity yeah you know i i really understand that uh, i feel completely good about so many parts of my sexuality but saying some things out loud still kind of get caught in my mouth, you know, um, and I, I hear myself saying it. It's like, did I really just say that? It's like I'm still listening through that child's brain. Yeah, there's still a lot of things I still I, I try to get away from and mentally and emotionally. I just can't. Part of that's my upbringing and my raising. And part of it is just something that I'll always be uncomfortable with. But after I am able to stop and identify to myself the reason why I feel like I shouldn't say that or don't want to say that and I can discredit that it's the negative reaction around it, then I actually can say it 
and it doesn't really feel always accepted, but it's how it is. So tell me what surprises you about the Jax experience. You've talked a little bit about it already, but uh, but there are things about it that I think are surprising and that people wouldn't expect. There's a variety of things for me that, uh, in, in the earlier days, especially, that were surprising. And one of them was um, that men will move around from person to person to person and have a few moments of masturbatory experience of looking maybe touching depending upon what the situation calls for and then move on to somebody else and in the early days trying to not take that when somebody was having a fun time and we were really exploring masturbation together to have them walk away and then go start to have um, an, an experience with somebody else that that didn't lessen who I am in a large room full of men. That was something that I had to struggle with um, initially, was that um, if somebody walked on to somebody else, that didn't mean that I was not uh, attractive to them or sexy or in the right frame of mind. And then I think the other thing that was that's, that's uh, surprising to me is the comfortability of once everybody gets their clothes off, one of the things that I've never liked is when I have to take my clothes off, but other men are keeping a particle of clothing on, whether it's um, underwear or uh, Speedos or some piece of clothing. I have had uh, body image issues for most of my life, and so... I find that I can be very comfortable in a room when everybody else is naked. It takes away that barrier. But if there's even one or two people that aren't naked as well, then it sort of makes me feel shy. And like, oh, I need to put something on or, or, or cover part of me up because I wasn't comfortable in the first place. And this really makes me uncomfortable. That was a surprise. Um, I thought that maybe I had gotten over that, but uh, here at... Uh, almost 60 years old, I haven't. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I think it's important to to note, just uh, because so many listeners have never been to a jack-off club, that everybody does not behave the same way. Right. There is that grazing behavior that you talk about where people will play with somebody and then they'll move on to somebody else, and that is actually a common behavior, but everybody doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of guys who come in and they will zero in on one one guy to play with and they will just play with them for the entire event or they'll just sit on their own and and just enjoy the the show right and interestingly enough paul i have been in all of those situations and um for various reasons i have a friend even still to this day that i still communicate with even though uh, we live 40 miles away from each other that i met at rcj's and the moment that we met, we sort of had um, our own thing. And it was just he and I from the moment of meeting to, uh, it was when we were at the Center for Sex Positive and there was sort of the inside area and then right outside that large locker room area, there were some bunk beds. And he and I left the, the play area and went into where the bunk beds are and got in one of the bunk beds and were very playful and, and sort of almost romantic. And it was an incredible evening, I will always remember. We spent the entire night just together and then eventually ejaculated together and went our separate ways, but exchanged phone numbers. And to this day, we're still very good friends. And it just happens we have the same birthday, just different years. So, you know, it's there was a connection that, that grew there that I wasn't expecting. And then I've also been on the other side where I've enjoyed 
the variety and going from maybe a little circle of two or three or an individual or um, four or five men who are sitting on a couch and go sit in one of the empty spaces and masturbate with the other gentleman and then get up and move on to something else. And so um, as much as it was difficult for me to get used to that initially, in current day, I'm very, very comfortable with really kind of moving through and, and having that variety and not feeling like, ooh, something's wrong with me because these guys left. The Heart of Jack's podcast was created to support work on my new book, The Heart of Jack's, The History and Culture of Jackoff Clubs which, as the title implies, recounts the history of the Jackoff Club phenomenon, revealing its true origins and telling, in their own words, the stories of the men who built it into a community long before the term safe sex was part of the common vernacular. You can support my work on this book, pulling together hundreds of bits of fading ephemera and dozens of hours of interviews and focus groups with the founders, managers, volunteers, and members of the Jacks in a growing list of cities, including... New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Orlando, Chicago, Cleveland, Toronto, London, Paris, Munich, Melbourne, and more. For your support, you will receive weekly updates on my progress, because hello, accountability, as well as early access to this podcast, which will be forever ad-free to my Patreon supporters. Join me as a patron and become part of this one-of-a-kind history at patreon.com slash theheartofjacks. That's patreon.com slash theheartofjacks, and help power this project to completion. One more time, go to patreon.com slash theheartofjacks, and thank you for supporting this podcast. So uh, let's go back and talk a little bit about body issues, mm -hmm. um, body image. Because um, that's where it stems from. <laughs> well, it's, I certainly know nothing about that myself. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I, I've, I've known for years just one of the things that I love about the clubs is that diversity of types, that it's not just one kind of person. It's just this like family of man. And there's a real uh, there's real community there just in embracing all the diversity. There is. I mean, the, the ages are from, you know, early 20s up to 80s. So, I mean, there's a real wide variety. Um, I usually find the typical median age is around 40 to 50, it seems, roughly overall, which is a very comfortable age range for me as well. But, you know, trying to fit in with um, a large group of everything from different races to different body types to different levels of comfortability. Uh, there are some, um, and typically they tend to be younger, who were raised with a different type of body image and understanding of sexuality that are just out there. And sometimes I sort of stand back against the wall a little embarrassed that maybe I've put on five pounds or 10 pounds. Um, you know, you look at, uh, you know, these these young guys that are maybe, you know, 25 years old and they're just out there and they're showing off the body and they're getting off on the complete exhibitionism of it. And I, I wish that I could have been that way when I was their age. And sometimes I even wish I could be that now. But looking at them gives me a great sense of body image where 
they are clearly not bothered by it. And when I might be in a little group or maybe sitting on a couch or in, a, in a, an area where I'm just sort of by myself stroking, kind of looking around. And one of these young hot guys that are just out there will come up and, you know, sort of play for a little bit and engage, you know, in masturbation with me. It's like, wow, okay. I guess really maybe yeah, I'm not as bad as I view myself. And then it kind of relaxes me a little bit and I'm able to get that confidence that I need to go out there and sort of do what I want to do, which is engage with other people. At a lot of clubs, uh, guys, in fact, they'll ask me if they need to send a photo uh, so that they can be approved for membership. Uh, oh, really? from from other experiences that they've had. And I learned really? that, uh, yeah, there are like sex clubs in New York, a lot of them, um, and uh, many of them do filter for a certain type. Um, and that always surprised me. But um, it, it just, I imagine, what would it be like to be responsible for deciding who's hot and who's not? And I just, I'm, I couldn't possibly get into that. But I love watching how your expectations kind of get blown apart, That that sometimes frequently you will find somebody of a certain body type attract to somebody else who is not just like them. We expect people to just like people who are just like them. And that's just not how people are necessarily wired. Yes, it, it is. It is interesting that um, your sense of who you find attractive would also be somebody that would find you attractive. And when you are in the Jackoff Club and you are completely naked and everybody else is, those those ideas of who's interested in you completely go away. And what's even more interesting is when you're naked, you have such a different sense of personality about you. Um, I think you you lose your confidence level um, a lot initially. And then you sort of warm up to it. And, and where I draw this, this uh, conclusion to is when, when the evening first starts and there's the little tubes of Abilene or the little cups of Abilene that um, guys are sort of going to the tray of where they are, they will sort of go over, but you can tell it's kind of just take one and walk away. And there's a sense of coolness um, in the atmosphere about that. And little by little, and as more men come, that changes, the atmosphere warms up a bit, and people move about freely, and you can really see the transgression from sort of nervous and anxious, a little bit of standoffishness, because you are worried and concerned, to these are all my brothers, let's go for it, because not only do I want to look and I want to see, I want to show. And that's where the change in body image um, really happens that I see. And that's the way it feels for me is I always know once I feel comfortable to sort of venture out from maybe a, a corner I've started out in, that those barriers of, of body shyness um, are going away. And that usually happens because people have shown an interest in me one way or another, or somebody's come up to me and either talked to me or come up and stood there in front of me naked while they're, you know, stroking their erection. And I'm just thinking, okay, okay, my barrier, my guard's going down and, you know, the barriers are being lifted and I'm feeling much more comfortable now where I can engage in this. And little by little, that's what makes my fear of being naked and my body image just sort of take flight and I'm, I feel much better. You know, there is kind of a warm-up period that happens. 
Um, I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't expect that they walk in and it's not immediately as friendly as they expect it to be. But it, it, it gets there pretty quickly once people start to join. I think when we went from a smaller space in the studio to the larger space in the sex positive, um, I think that the space really helped um, with that sort of a cool period in coming into warmness, because then you sort of had an area where you kind of could go and be on your own and be the voyeur where you're kind of looking and watching to see what's going on until you feel comfortable enough to come out of your little section. I mean, goodness gracious, there are those those um, young men with those rock-hard bodies and built-up muscles that just start warm and it just gets only hotter. But those of us that don't fit into that mold sort of tend to step back a little bit and wait until we're more comfortable. And so it's, I think that you see, when you see that, when you see some people are just out there and they're just going to go lay over on that table that's in the middle of the room in front of everybody and just lay back and expose themselves and just start masturbating. I think that's one of the the key points at which people go, hmm, okay, well, maybe I'll join in or maybe it's not so bad. And I think the other piece too is is times when I've been there where you've been sort of almost a social director in a way of connecting people, um, that has really helped. It's the difference of walking into a bar on your own and walking into a bar with a friend. When you walk in by yourself, you're, you know, you're at the back table or the back bar stool and you're sitting and you're watching and scoping things out and hoping that somebody will come by and talk to you. You go with a friend, you sit at the front of the bar and you have conversation and you know people are watching. So I think having that um, introductory period, so to speak, where there is somebody who's a, a social host really engaging people or not only that but when people will go to you and say I want to be the guy that everybody comes on or I want to be the center of this and, and then you arrange that for them that adds another greater level of um, comfortability I'm the only other place that I ever have seen that in is Melbourne Winkers and in the Philadelphia Jacks. It doesn't happen in L.A. It doesn't happen in New York. And in fact, um, the L.A. Jacks was probably one of the most unfriendly experiences I've ever had where it was really, and I hate to throw anybody under the bus, but so, someone's always going to be your better and someone's only going to be the worst. Um it was very cliquish, and you sort of either fit in with the guys or you didn't. And it was very pronounced. And interestingly enough, it's probably when I went to the LA Jacks was when I was the most fit and the thinnest and the most buff because I'd come through a, about a year of really working out and felt the, the best about my body image and still didn't feel like I f um, fit in. Um, it was really uncomfortable. It was it was very very uncomfortable. Um, Philadelphia Jacks just was the most unassuming, and um, it was several different rooms that you could move about, and with furniture, and there was a sense of um, friendliness in that room in those rooms where um, other clubs just don't have them. The clubs do have regional uh, cultural differences. They do. They really do. Um, and then the Aussies are just so darn friendly. It's hard not to uh, have a good time when you're there. Plus, they love to hear American accents. So, you know. 
How about France? France was very interesting because there was a very small turnout. It was it was uh, on a Wednesday, and it was in an area that um, isn't very popular. And it's in the Ninth Arrondissement, and it was not well attended. And again, it seemed more like people stuck with who they knew because there seemed to be friends that would go and groups of friends. Um, and so it wasn't a real um, engaging um, opportunity. But I also think that there were some circumstances that uh, surrounded that particular night and location that may not have been um, as different as if maybe it was in, you know, the Marais or if it was in the Saint-Germain. And I really can't say it was a jack-off club because it was really more like jack-off night. At, um, and again, it was in a sauna. And um, it was just um, not... Uh, it didn't have all of the pieces uh, that a lot of the other clubs have put together. Um, how did you find out about it? Uh, in a, um, adver- an advertisement. Okay. Advertisement. <laughs> Tell me who inspires you. You know, it's funny. I I have to say my husband inspires me more than any anybody else that I've ever known through trials and tribulations of his own and through difficulties that he may have when I'm hurt or I'm in pain or something um, is upsetting me. There's there's a he, he he gets it, he knows it, he understands it, and he's able to put himself onto the side and will do something subtle that um, really makes me go, dang it, you really do love me, don't you? And you really do notice, even though I've been trying to hide that I'm upset because you're dealing with some difficult things, you saw right through it, and God bless you. What are you into these days that you'd like to recommend to the listeners? And it can be anything. It could be like books, shows, games, drinks, lube. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, Abilene certainly is the best. There's no question about it because... uh, You know, um, those water-soluble gels are great for the first couple of strokes, but if you're going to go at it for a while. I tend to be a dry masturbator, though, which is, um, I think it used to be common, but I don't think that it is anymore with all the preparations that there are. But I tend to um, be a dry masturbator, and if you, you know, masturbate three, four times a day, sometimes you can wear a hole in your dick, but uh, (laughs) uh, other than that... um, Mine came with one. Yeah. (laughs) Some came with two or three. Uh, But uh, yeah, my life is very, very simple these days because I work, I go to school and um, I have my home life. And that's about it because everything is full time times three. And so um, my entertainment, my uh, enjoyment is, is fairly limited to home, work and school. Uh, I wish I didn't know where you were coming from. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for doing this with me today. You're so welcome. It's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on where we could actually talk about some of these issues that are um, not common conversations and sometimes difficult to not only talk about, but also difficult to be upfront and honest I still know that there is a sense out there that masturbation is not really um, considered really sex or a full sexual experience in our community. And it's it's so unfortunate. And I, I 
really applaud that uh, you're doing these podcasts that hopefully people who really understand um, the philosophy, for example, behind Bait World and other um, sites and groups where masturbation is the focus, that it is just as healthy a sexual lifestyle as anything else. Um, intercourse is not where it all has to be. And quite frankly, getting to know your own body is a true talent and a technique that most men never learned in their lives because they're so... You used so, the word art earlier. Yeah, well, in, in, in you know, we're so used to um, having other people be responsible for making our bodies feel good that conversations about what it is um, that makes us feel good are important, but more importantly than that even still is knowing yourself. What makes your body feel good? Because there are certain things that only you can do to reach that point. So thank you very much. Thank you. That's a great place to leave it. All right. I want to thank Hezekiah for being my guest on the podcast. I really appreciate all the people who have shared their stories with me, and I'm always looking for guests for future episodes. If you've been to the Jacks anywhere in the world, or if you have another story that you think our listeners would find edifying, email me. I'm also very interested in speaking with sex educators, therapists, researchers, artists, students, thought leaders about sex-positive culture and just everyday human realness. My email address is podcast at theheartofjacks.com, or you can call 206-580-3120, and I thank you in advance. On Wednesday, November 25th, 2020, Elena Gabash died. Elena was my very first guest on the podcast, episode one, just two months ago. My club, Rain City Jacks, was just one of countless organizations and individuals who were touched by the force of nature that was Alina Gabash. I will be forever grateful for her support, her fire to change the world. The following is from her obituary, written by her loving friend and family member, Mac S. McGregor. You'll find a link to the full article in the show notes. What a journey she had. She lived 200 lifetimes in one and squeezed every little drop out of every year right until the end. She had a life's philosophy of eradicating shame, spreading joy, and making a difference in the world. Those things she accomplished every day of her life, giving people a safe space to be themselves, to explore their sexuality and expression was part of her gift to the world. She saw people. She truly saw people. She genuinely loved hearing people's stories, connecting them to others who they would resonate with. She was extremely generous with her time and always shared the stage. She used her incredible spotlight to help launch and promote the careers of many sex and gender educators and activists. You'd be pressed to find a more passionate advocate. Co-author of The Ethical Slut and 10 other books, Janet Hardy said, it's almost impossible to overstate Elena's contributions to the world of alternative sexuality and relationships, both here in the Pacific Northwest and nationwide, arguably worldwide. Her formidable intelligence, enormous compassion, and undauntable determination made her a figure that will be mourned by a huge number of perverts, sluts, kinksters, queers, and plain old people. I will leave you with her favorite quote from her favorite movie, Auntie Mame. Life is a banquet, 
and most poor suckers are starving to death. The greatest thing we can do to carry on her legacy is to enjoy the banquet of life, live it to the fullest, be authentic, erase shame, be generous in sharing our knowledge, spotlight, encouragement, creating safe space for others, and seeing folks with curiosity, compassion, empathy, and kindness. Thank you, Elena. <laughs>